This is the John Oakley Show podcast. On a great day for talk radio. On this gun guy buyback program that's uh, been introduced by the mayor and the chief, Mark Saunders, that'll run until May 17th. Will it deter violent crime? Let's find out how the mayor feels about it. John Tory weighing in on the Oakley Show. Mayor Tory, always a pleasure. Good afternoon, sir. Are you there? Hi, Mayor. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. Uh, I Perfect. appreciate you joining us here. Uh, My pleasure. Okay. <laughs> I had to bump Vlad Guerrero Jr. to uh, usher you in here, you know. You did. <laughs> no. no, John, I would not do that. I'm sorry. I, say, I, I got my priorities straight. Yeah, I, and I agree with your priorities completely. Look, I'd like to talk to him myself. I want, I'm looking forward to shaking his hand. All right. Uh, well, we hope it all goes off as uh, anticipated. A lot of expectations on the you young man. Let me ask you about this gun buyback program. Obviously, uh, the idea is the intent to get the guns off the street, but do you think it's going to reduce violent gun crime? Well, I look at it this way. I, neither the chief nor I stood in front of the media and said that this by itself was somehow the answer to reducing gun crime in the city. But if you connect the gun crime in the city to the prevalence of and availability of guns, then if you take uh, the example of the last time we did one like this with uh, you know reasonable financial incentives and got 2,000 guns, uh, every gun taken off the street, they're take, even if they're taken out of drawers, as, as the chief was saying this morning, in people's uh, dining room, uh, cabinets where they've been sitting there since somebody left it there years ago is a gun that's not available to a criminal uh, to commit a gun offense. So I think the answer to the question is yes, especially if it's 2,000 guns, but even if it's one, that's going to be one less gun available to a criminal. All right, except historically now we've done this on a number of occasions over the last 10 years or so, and uh, it really hasn't shown that there's been a commensurate drop in gun crime, has it? Well, no, but again, John, I'm not pretending that this initiative by itself uh, is going to do the trick. I said very clearly the substantial additional investment we made in this year's budget in the police to hire more police officers and give them more tools. Uh, the changes uh, in the laws, which we've helped, we've had some real help from the provincial government on setting up a special bail court, frankly, to keep people in custody who are people that are repeatedly charged with gun offenses and things like that. And the investments we're making in kids and families with some help there from the uh, federal government, those are things that are going to ultimately, you know, make the biggest difference in terms of uh, fighting gun crime. But this is just one more thing you can do. If you can get 2,000 guns off the street, why wouldn't you? Again, with Mayor John Tory, typically who turns them in, John? Well, I mean, the, you, you know of one thing, John, it's not criminals. That's, that's another point that I concede. It's not criminals coming in and saying, here's my gun. Um, it is people who uh, maybe know that there are relatives or other acquaintances of theirs who keep guns in, hid, hidden in certain places and they turn them in. It is people who've kept a gun that may have belonged to a previous generation in some, you know, sort of night, night uh, table drawer with ammunition in many cases. The police said the last time we did this, many of the guns that were turned in were guns that were not kept in a secure place, and I were very vulnerable to being into the hands of criminals if they hadn't been turned into the police. So it's a lot of ordinary people who either know that a gun is somewhere it shouldn't be, or who've just had one around and didn't know quite what to do with it. All right, and do police track these guns, for example? Are they uh, tested ballistically or anything like that for uh, maybe their, their commission in a crime? Yeah, and that's a very important question for two reasons. One, uh, people are not supposed to, just so that in case they thought about it, they're not supposed to show up at the police station or at City Hall or so on with these guns. They are to call the police, and there's a phone number uh, that they're to call and say, I have a gun, I want you to come out, and the police come out to the houses, and they then take the gun, and the first thing they do with it is test it and, and run the various different kinds of identification tests they can do to see if it was involved in the commission of a crime, because if it has been involved in the 
commission of a crime, as they said this morning, they will begin an investigation or, or continue with one that already was underway. And they're obviously not going to reward the person who turned that gun in, uh, especially if it was a criminal for uh, for having the gun turned in. But that turns out to be in the minority of cases, I think. And uh, the majority of cases, they take they take the gun once they've determined it was not involved in any way in the commission of a crime they give the reward which is $200 for a long gun and $350 for a handgun uh, done this time in the form of uh, uh, these kind of uh, credit cards that have a balance on them that you can you can have just so we're clear uh, I thought it was a case of no questions asked but you're saying there could be uh, depending on whether this gun tests positive in the commission of a crime a follow-up with the individual who turned it in yeah, you can imagine that if uh, we had a policy that sort of said we could just, and, and by the way, in some U.S. cities they do this. They call it an amnesty there, mm-hmm. you know, where they just say, if you turn this gun in, no matter who you are, no questions asked, no nothing. Uh, the police here determined, because they made this determination, that if we did that here and a gun turned out to have been turned in, soon to disappear or being destroyed, and it turned out to have been a gun that was involved in the commission of a crime, uh, that we would be criticized for having a piece of evidence turn out to in that, end up in that way. So in our case, it's a little bit different uh, in, in that you do have to call the police to come and get the gun. They test it. And once it's been tested and found not to have been involved, as far as they can tell, in the commission of a crime, then they give the financial incentive to the person who turned it in. Yeah. Uh, all right. Which might actually deter those who have been involved in nefarious practices with a gun from even wanting to turn it in. But And the other thing is the figure you talked about, uh, 200 on a rifle, 350 on a handgun. When the going rate on the street, I'm told, is anywhere from 1000 to $1,500, uh, why would somebody be apt to turn them in? Well, I think that some people just want to turn them in because they're not they're not in possession of them for any bad purpose. They just have them around their house because some prior you know somebody who's passed on had it or whatever. I think in other cases there are people who would consider as I as I do, given you know that I get around to a lot of the communities where people are struggling, they'd consider three hundred fifty dollars to be a lot of money. And even though somebody might have bought it for a thousand dollars, if it's some mom that knows you know one of her kids was hiding it under a mattress or something, they might just take it in uh, or turn it in for. The $350. And so, but I can't answer as for to human behavior. I only know that the last time that this was done and the similar kinds of incentives were offered, 2,000 guns were taken off the street and that's 2,000 guns that won't be available to criminals to uh, do things that they would otherwise perhaps be doing. So it all helps. And I'm not suggesting, as I've said to you, that this is the answer. There is no one answer. There's a whole bunch of things we have to keep doing. All right. And it runs until May 17th. So effectively a two to three week program, right? Yes. What's the correct. thinking there? Why only uh, that timeline? Well, it's about the period of time when what you find is there's an initial kind of uh, a burst of activity and then it kind of tails off. And I think it's based just on the history of when these have been done successfully in the past. And by successful, I mean 2,000 guns in 2008, uh, that that's about the right period of time. And we can do it again if it's a huge success and it's deemed something that we, you know, we can always do it again. Mayor John Torrey, can I ask you one or two more while I've still sure, got you here? This has to do, and uh, we'll leave the gun ban thing here, yep. uh, but uh, the public health cuts. Uh, where the Ford government's decided that, you know, uh, the city could probably pick up the slack on this. Uh, I know there's been resistance and some people, Joe Cressy, the counselor, saying people are going to die. I don't know if you subscribe to that dire warning or prediction. Do you? I think that there are some instances with some of the uh, overdose prevention programs and so on where it's a matter of life and death. I think in other cases, though, these are very, very important programs. So the notion of some of these kids, and we could have a long discussion, you and me and all of your listeners, about why there are kids who are sent to school hungry, in some cases 
it's probably of economic necessity. In other cases, it's, there might be other explanations. But the bottom line is, study after study has shown that when kids are in school hungry, they're not paying attention. They're going to do poorly in school and drop out. And then they become a much bigger you know, problem for themselves and for the rest of society. And so there's all kinds of programs like that. John, I, I think about the best example of all, which is SARS. And one of the reasons these programs became jointly funded by the province and mandated by the province years ago was because of SARS. And a lot of the activity that goes on here has to do with things like infectious diseases, uh, restaurant uh, health inspections, and so on. And if we had SARS again and 44 people died again, and they died because we didn't have adequate programs in place, you know, to educate people about what to do about infectious diseases and so on. What would people say? Uh, you know, so I just I, I look at these things and say, well, it's really just a matter of common sense to me that you invest in public health because that leads to fewer people getting sick, more people staying healthy, and that that ultimately I think leads to a reduction in healthcare expenditures, which is what I thought the government was trying to do. Well, all right, but if we talk about you know uh, money uh, somewhere. Uh, making its way down the food chain. This is the criticism of uh, those who are critical of the Ford government for making these cutbacks or making the city more responsible for public health. Couldn't we just make up the cuts uh, to public health by being more physically responsible in other areas, like the cost overruns at Union Station or the St. Lawrence Market North, for example? We heard that this week. I make no excuses for the cost overruns on different projects that happen in the city and at all levels of government, by the way. I I, I think that is an area where we still are way behind where we need to be in terms of, uh, you know, managing those projects more efficiently or or getting the private sector to manage them for us. But, um, you know, the cost overrun on Union Station already is what it is. these are ongoing re- uh, uh, reductions in funding for programs the province itself mandates, by the way. They, they legislative re- require us to have programs like this. And I think that they accepted the fact, by the way, in all other provinces in Canada, the municipality doesn't pay any of the costs. It's all paid for by the province. And so, uh, and, and I also take considerable, I have considerable difficulty with the issue of them just not consulting us and just in- invoking these uh, cuts and treating Toronto worse than any other city in the province. I don't understand why that happens. We arguably have the biggest challenge here because we have 3 million people. Uh, We have a lot of people are attracted to big cities that have issues that they face in their lives. And so why they would treat us worse than any other city, I don't get that. And they've never provided any, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, credible explanation for that uh, as of this moment. But is your sense then that Toronto is being picked on specifically? Well, it, it, the, the facts indicate when you say picked on, I mean, that implies somebody decided to do that. But the bottom line is the decision that was made was that at the end of these cutbacks that the province is imposing, we will be in a different uh, financial scenario where we'll get 50-50 with them than all the other municipalities in the province that will get 60-40. So the province will continue to pay 60 for every place in the province except Toronto. You tell me why that's justifiable. Well, uh, I can only guess or speculate because I've heard it in the pipeline that uh, until Toronto gets its own physical house in order, uh, as I cited some of these cost overruns by way of example, uh, the government feels justified in cutting back on public health because they've also got a mandate to uh, try to reduce the deficit. You know, John, uh, I could go into chapter and verse and your listeners don't have time for it and you wouldn't have the patience. I mean, the spending at the city level has gone up by less than 2% the last few years. I have kept property tax increases to add or below their inflation now for five years to the point where I'm severely criticized by some of the members of city council for showing that leadership. The notion that Toronto's finances are not in good order, our credit rating agency, look at what the provinces, what they've said about the provinces credit rating and what they've said about ours. They've said that we are a well-managed city. And so 
this notion of us being sort of in some bad shape financially and that somehow that means what you should do is then decide if you're going to force some changes on us, that you force it at the expense of children that are hungry or you force it at the expense of children's dental checkups they do between ages 0 and 12 to make sure that kids have healthy dental habits or that you force it at the expense of restaurant inspections that make sure people can go and eat safely. I find that to be, you know, just not really credible. How about deteriorating infrastructure? We've seen flooding now and pooling of water and so on and so forth. Is Toronto up to scratch to meet these kinds of things, these, uh, you know, what they say are epochal floods and uh, what have you? I mean, could we uh, do with the current infrastructure or do you think we need upgrades? Oh, no, definitely. That's why I announced just as one example when all this water comes down on these, uh, you know, what used to be called once in a hundred year storms that now seem to be happening about once every hundred weeks, uh, that we are, for example, going to speed up a program that had been put in place years ago to have Toronto not putting any sewage into Lake Ontario uh, by 2038, and I've advanced that by 10 years with a substantial investment, hundreds of millions of dollars of a city taxpayer's money. But again, we're, we're catching up on years of neglect on these kinds of things, and when people complain about a, lot of, about a lot of the construction going on in the city on water mains, on basement flooding, we're spending this year, I forget the number now, I think it's about three or four hundred million dollars on basement flooding work, which involves us replacing and expanding sewers. That's work that was postponed for years. And we're doing it now to take account of exactly what you're talking about, which is the flooding that's taking place because of the big storm. So we're making those investments, but it doesn't help us to make those, John, when the provincial government takes away, uh, I forget the number this year, I think it starts off at $25 million in gas tax money that had been promised to us and frankly was promised during the election campaign. Mr. Ford said during the election they would not touch that gas tax money that had been committed by the previous government, and now they're taking it away. And that's money that goes into capital. In that case, most of it was spent on transit. So you can't have all this money taken away and then say to me, well, what are you doing about catching up on the infrastructure? Property taxes can only bear so much. And I think all your listeners know that. They sure don't want big increases in property taxes. And the, the Minister of Finance, who's a good friend of mine, and I admire him a lot, and he's a smart guy and a reasonable guy, stood up and the first words out of his mouth almost on the budget this year, the provincial budget, it were, there will be no tax increases. Well, how does it make any sense then to pass that responsibility down to the municipal government so we have to increase taxes? It doesn't. I mean, if, you're, if the idea is not to raise taxes on people, then let's not do that. John, it's good to cover off several bases. We have to do this more often. Anytime you like. I'm, uh, uh, you just You call and I'll answer. And, and, if it, and if Vladdy has to replace me, I'll be fully understanding of that. As long as you don't replace him in the lineup. <laughs> <laughs> that, John, I'm good at a lot of things, or a few anyway, but not. I, I couldn't be doing that job. And I hope, as you said, I hope he does well. It's, yeah. it's hard to come in with expectations, but he seems pretty good. All right. Fair enough. Oh, we'll see. You ta- All right. Uh, for sure. Take Bye, care. John. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Mayor John Tory again. Uh, weighing in on that matter and the uh, deterrence that might be uh, implied with a gun buyback scheme. Do you think it'll work? Actually, you've been waiting, Steve, a while. I wanted to hear from you. What do you say? Hey, thanks for having me, John. Um, I can't add anything to what the mayor has just said, um, but I'm seeing a lot or I'm hearing a lot of pushback from conservative radio. You, you guys and your the other popular station in Toronto, I, I just don't... I, do you guys want to be on the wrong end of this subject? I just don't get why... You guys don't think that even in the smallest possible way, if this prevents bullets from flying across a playground by scooping up these old, sometimes antique guns, why why you guys wouldn't be for that? All right. Uh, I'll clarify two points for you. Number one, uh, not against it, just asking an open-ended question if he believes that this will actually deter gun crime, because 
the criminals ain't going to turn their guns in. And uh, number two, there are no other popular radio stations. Uh, but thanks for weighing in. Here's Brian Patterson. He's with the Ontario Safety League. Brian, what do you say on the matter? Well, I'm happy to be on the most popular station today, John. Uh, I think the mayor is uh, very much on the right track here. You're going you're gonna to take stuff out. And in, in my career uh, prior to the Safety League, uh, you know, they'd be doing some estate work and somebody would have firearms from World War II, they brought back as souvenirs, a forty-five, a Luger. I had a guy uh, in my own neighborhood, uh, 78, wanted me to, to help him out with a firearm from. He had a Thompson submachine gun under his bed. He brought it back from uh, Amsterdam mm. in 1945, and he felt it was you know, a war souvenir or a trophy or whatever. It wasn't a guy that was going to go rob the bank. But at the end of the day, if we can get those off the street, it's not just the criminal. It's those tragedies you cover all the time. All right, so you would, by extension, favor a gun ban then? Would you favor a gun ban? Uh, I'm waiting to see the details on that because I know a lot of people that are in shooting regularly and no, but basically what you're arguing, though, uh, its logical extension would be a gun ban. If you want to take guns off the street and guns out of the homes and uh, so on and so forth because they might be accessed improperly uh, or tragically, then a gun ban, a full gun ban, would follow at the extreme. I, I think at the extreme, I'd like to see a few judges keep people in jail when we have police officers withering a hail of bullets to get them under arrest. And uh, I think if you're caught at the border smuggling guns, uh, I, uh, you know, Mr. Justice Patterson is not providing bail or anywhere else for you to live for the next 20 years because it's a uh, it's a plague on our community. It's, yeah, not, you look. it's not necessarily the regulated uh, uh, gun users. It's that, you know, it, 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 in this case, I'm talking about people who may have them and they're not really sure why they have them and they need to get rid of them. All right. Uh, duly noted. Uh, and I'm with you on that as far as these, uh, you know, if it's a deterrent by giving them heavy sentences. But it's not at the border in a lot of cases. A lot of cases, you've got reserves that are straddling the border. And uh, those are avenues for running these guns with impunity. However, uh, on the matter that I did ask the mayor about public health cuts, I wanted to pursue that because, you know, this uh, OHIP traveler's insurance that's being cut as well, that's a proposal at least we've got until Tuesday of next week to weigh in on this. It was posted Wednesday on the government's website. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.